All we want to talk about today is the last sentence in the Lord's Prayer, and lead us not into temptation. I can remember as an adolescent thinking to myself, you don't need to lead me into temptation, I can find it all by myself. Thank you very much. And when I was a little, little kid, and the first time I learned the Our Father, it, 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 I, I thought that to, com, to temptation was a place like to carry, and I never wanted to go there. Today is all about temptation. How do we deal with temptation? Mark Twain once quipped, the easiest way to get rid of temptation is to give in. Well, today we're not going to do that. Today we want to take a good, hard look at temptation and what it is doing and what the temptations are because it is the Spirit of God that leads Jesus into the desert to be tempted by the devil. You know, in, 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 in 2019, Pope Francis threw the whole world into a bit of a tither concerning the Our Father because he wanted to change lead us not into temptation. And the reason he wanted to change is because it gives the impression that it's God who does the tempting, and God does not do the tempting. It is, it is the power of the world. It is the power, the spirit of, mal, 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 the spirit of bad <laughs> that leads us into temptation. So he wanted to change it to uh, lead, let, let us not fall into temptation. And, of course, he got that because he grew up in Argentina where they speak Spanish, and in Spanish it's no nos dejes caer, to fall, in la tentación, into the temptation. But the, ra but the reality is, and, and obviously Francis didn't get his way because we're still saying it the old way, because the, the reality really is it was the Spirit that led the Lord into the desert to be tempted. As a matter of fact, in, in two of the three synoptics, in, in Matthew today and in Luke today, it is, it is said that Jesus is led by the Spirit in Mark's version He's driven by the Spirit. The Spirit drove him into the desert. So there's something imperative here. There's something that the Spirit of God is doing that has something to deal with and do with temptation. Now, now the temptation can be seen as, as two different prongs, two different parts of it. One is, one is a test, and, and the other is to, to do something that is wrongful, something that is not right. Well, clearly the test part is manifest today. This is Jesus' vision quest. You know, a vision quest is what all young adolescent indigenous boys are called to do to discover their deepest identity and, and what it means to be a man. The boy must die so that the man must live. Well, this is the same quest that Jesus is about to enter into and, and, and it comes right immediately after his baptismal bath. Because he comes out of the baptismal waters and, and he hears the voice of God say, you want to know your identity? I'll tell you who you are. You are my son. He's the son of God. What in the world does it mean to be the Son of God? And that's why he's being driven into the desert to discover his deepest identity, his truest identity. Well, he's not the only one who's come out of baptismal waters. Everyone I am looking at right now has come out of a baptismal water. And as he, so we. 
And this is our vision quest as well. We too, during this holy season of Lent, are called to dig deep into who we really are. If you get the who right, everything else kind of falls into place. If you get the identity question, the deepest identity, not the superficial one, then, then everything fills us with the fullness of life. The, uh, the Russian spiritual master, Gutiev, says that, that, that we have two identities. One he called the personality, and the other he called the essence. Uh, the personality is, is everything that, we've, that we think, everything we've learned, the, our, our education, our titles, the, 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 the race we belong to. It, it's, it's part of the persona that we, we put out there. But the essence is, is who we really are. This is very similar. As a matter of fact, it's the same thing that Thomas Merton referred to when he talked about the false self and the true self. Merton says the false self is who you think you are the way you define yourself, who you present to the world, your, 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 your looks, your education, your, your demeanor, the way... You, but he says that's not who you truly are, the true self. And this is what we continue to spend our life trying to peel off that which is keeping us from discovering because it always seems to hide who we really are, our true self, the deepest us is who we are in God and who God is in us. Now, the question is, <clears throat> how, do we, how do we discover, <clears throat> how do we uncover our deepest identity? Well, that's what, that's what Lent is all about. This really is our own vision quest, for we too are called into the desert, we're called by the Spirit, and he is going to allow us to go through very much the same things that Jesus went through. So let's take a look at his, his temptations, because they're our temptations as well. And the first temptation, of course, is that he's, he's fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. And St. Matthew says, at the end of this, he was hungry. Duh. <laughs> you can talk about the understatement of the year. And, and, and at that point, the, tempt, uh, the first temptation is going to be coming. It's going to be an interesting temptation because it's not really a, a, a temptation to, to, to do evil, to do wrong, but it is a temptation to overdo what is basically good. And so he says, if you are the son of God. Now, what's he done? He's just introduced some doubt, a little bit of confusion. Maybe you're really not. Maybe you had some kind of a, uh, you ate too much pepperoni the night before and you were having a bad dream. Uh, if you are this, notice this is exactly the same thing that, that uh, Sister Pat read to us this morning. I told her when you get to this part, emphasize it, and she did a wonderful job. Did God really tell you not to eat of the fruit of the knowledge and good? Good and evil? What's he doing? Sowing confusion. Sowing doubt. Temptation is always going to sow confusion, always going to sow doubt. And, and, that, and then we don't really know what to do, what is, what is right. You know, the, 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 the tobacco industry sowed doubt from the time that they knew that, that tobacco was carcinogenic. Till, till they got sued and couldn't, couldn't lie anymore. The oil industry knew from the time of Rachel Carl Carson's 
of Silent Spring, that, uh, that, that the oil and the fossil fuels are going to pollute to no end. And what did they do? They sowed doubt. They sowed confusion. So if you're confused, then you, you really don't really know. So what's the temptation here? Well, the temptation really is, is to do something rather good. You're hungry, you eat. You, you, you're thirsty, you drink. You want to have a, a relationship with somebody, you enter into the relationship. Then where's, where's the bad part of that? What's wrong with turning, if you're hungry, turning stones into loaves of bread? Well, when we go all the way with that, when that becomes our God, as St. Paul says in the Philippians, their God is their belly. When it becomes an end in itself, whatever our sensual desires are, whether it be uh, uh, food or alcohol or sex, or today one of, the, one of the things we get addicted to are screens. We can't take our eyes off of the screens. We're checking them every three seconds. Well, then at that point, it's never enough. It is the problem of addiction, and we are living in an addictive society, and every one of us in some way is being lured to their addiction. Uh, George Carlin uh, tells, who had some real serious issues with the, or addiction, George Carlin was saying that, that uh, when he was heavily addicted, he says, you know, when you first begin, and I think his was cocaine, he said, when you first begin, it's, it's, it's all pleasure and very little pain. But then as you go on, and it goes on for a while, it becomes uh, some pleasure and, and some pain. And he says, when you are completely addicted, when you are owned by whatever it is you are addicted to, it owns you. And it's all pain. And the only reason you are doing the drug is to self-medicate, to get out of the pain. It owns you. And we are owned, especially in our culture today, by so very many things. So, so, so. What are we called to do? What, what can we do? In all temptations, in all temptations, we're given a choice between giving in or surrendering to. You know, I'm, I'm still addicted to tobacco. I haven't had a cigarette since 1976, but I'm still addicted. And, and I, my line was always, I can quit smoking. I've done it a thousand times. You know? And I couldn't. I, I absolutely couldn't couldn't. Uh, I, I, I was addicted. And, and every, every time I saw it, I, I, I went back, and I quit, and I went back. And fi finally, I, I discovered that, well, what AA has taught us. Uh, Mark Twain may say that the easiest way to get rid of an addiction is to give in. AA says the easiest way to deal with a, an addiction is to surrender is to let go, is to really fall into someone else's arms. I can remember the prayer when I finally came to the realization that I could not quit. I turned to the Lord and I said, I can't. And I can almost hear the Lord say, yes, but I can. And so AA tells us if, if, if we are going to deal with whatever our addiction may be, we have got to surrender to a higher power. There is a strength in us that is not our own, and yet it is, it is an emanation from God. You know, the, the 
problem with poor Adam and Eve is the devil told them they were going to be like God. What they didn't realize is that they were already like God. They were an emanation of God. Their deepest reality was divine. But they wanted it independently. They wanted to be in control. That's where the problem comes. We're not in control. And so we are always called to surrender to. If you are the son of God, temptation number two. Oh, take, you, take yourself from the parapet of the temple, throw yourself down because he's given angels to command to guide you in all your ways lest you dash your foot against the stone. What is he saying? You're special. If you really are the son of God, nothing can hurt you. Nothing can hurt you. You, 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 you're, you are better than. This is, this is egoic inflation to the nth degree, and we are always fed egoic inflation. We are always thinking somehow, we're the better group, I'm the better person. And, and, and so we compare ourselves to the other, and, 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 and the question is, can you be the son of God and still be wounded? The first question is, can you be the Son of God and be hungry? Well, yes. Yes. Can you be the Son of God and still be wounded? Well, yes. As a matter of fact, it is the wounded one that heals us. By his wounds, we were healed. And Henry Nouwen has pointed out to each and every one of us that we are all wounded healers that the power that comes from us is not from us ourselves, but the power that emanates from our hearts, which is divine. And we can find ourselves touching and healing and making whole in the midst of our debilities, in the midst of our wounds. The final temptation is the most dangerous of all, because in the final temptation, he is now going to to call him to wrongdoing. If you are the son of God, well, he doesn't have to say it this time. He just brings him up to the top of the mountain. And he shows him the kingdoms of the world, the riches of the world, the glory of the world. And he says, all this I will give to you if you bow down and worship me. Why? Can he even say that? Because while Jesus may be the king of the universe, the devil, the power, the worldly power, is the king of the world. And, and how does he exercise his power? He exercises his power by dividing and conquering. If I can set one group against another, we can have some wars. I will be the victor and all others will lose. If I can set one group against another, we will see who really is powerful. That's the great lie. And so when we bow down and worship, and you know what? We are trained to bow down and worship. Money and power and dominance and prestige. We're trained from the time we're little children that these are the things that really count. As a matter of fact, most of our education most of our education has nothing to do with what I'm talking about today. 
You go to school to get good grades. You get good grades so that you can get to a good school. You get to a good school so you can have a good degree. You get a good degree so you can get a good job. And you can get a good job so you can make lots and lots of money. It's the God we are, we're taught to worship. That's the worldly God. And that's the world in which we, and, and we swim in it. I mean, we, I mean that temptation is constant. It's the temptation to, to power. You know, Nietzsche wrote about the, the will to power. Now, power in itself is a good thing. But power, when it is consolidated into very few oligarchical hands, or when it is consolidated just into one, it goes to south. Power indeed corrupts. And absolute power corrupts absolutely. Most of us in this room remember when Daniel Ortega was a good guy in Nicaragua. And he was working with the sisters and he was working with the priests and he promised that, oh, he would end corruption. Today, he is the dictator who is filled with corruption. Because once you get caught, it's almost impossible to get out. That's that terrible... And, and Putin, in Putin... One man filled with power and filled with delusion and filled with illusion is causing more pain in this world than millions and millions can correct. And yet, and yet, and yet, what do we dare to believe? That there's a greater power than Putin. It's just not very fast and it's not very efficient. There's a much greater power than dominance. There is much greater power than sub subjugation. There's a much greater power on earth because it is a power from heaven. It is a power from God. And God has his power to throw to us, and it is the power of love. Of love. Greatest power in the world. Greatest power in the world. Not very efficient, not very fast, but love always wins. Get away from me, Satan. Only the Lord God shall we worship, and only he shall we serve. Now here's the question. Can you be the son of God in the worldly sense? No, can you be the son of God and in a worldly sense be powerless? Can you be the son of God and be powerless? It is said that God the Father is the powerlessness of power. I'm always nervous about starting out a prayer with Almighty God. But you know what? God the Father is Almighty. God spoke and the world was created. That's pretty powerful stuff. Yet God the Father is absolutely helpless in the face of the human will. All we need to do is say no and walk away. So that is the powerlessness of power. And in Jesus, we have the power of powerlessness. Jesus changes the world not by domination, not by subjugation, not by putting his thumb on the world, he changes the world not by force, but by the greatest power in heaven and earth, love. 
Oh, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. So my beloved sisters and brothers, welcome to the desert. We are in the desert. It's where we can literally hear the voice of God and where we will be tempted by the powers of the world. And we will have to, as we prayed in the opening penitential rite, learn how to endure that evil. And the question is, how in the world are we going to do it? And the answer is easy. Follow the leader.